0: had a senior moment that I just said so what hey Robert Kraft is absolutely going to fire Bill Belichick make no mistake about it people think that he won't fire Bill Belichick I guarantee you as we told you a week ago Monday this is going to happen if this garbage continues LeBron in the middle of Israel David Wells guess what Roger Clemens joins It's stone at me we start right now Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. You know the numbers. Bill Belichick's record is below that of Joe Philbin of Bill O'Brien and a ton of others without Tom Brady. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? A report came out yesterday that says, guess what? Robert Kraft would be open to firing Tom Brady. Of course he would. Look, understand this. Robert Kraft built an empire. Yes, he did. He hired the right coach who got the right quarterback at the right time, and he let that coach and quarterback, general manager, et all do their thing. But now what have we learned? We learned this was really tilted. Quarterback muy importante. Coach, maybe, just maybe, the perfect supplement to the quarterback. Yes, I said that. The quarterback was the damn guts of the diet, and the coach, Bill Belichick, was the supplement. Now, Kraft was asked about it. He's not going to say this. Of course he's not going to say anything. Why would he? But reportedly, he is lamenting the team's, quote, lack of postseason victory in the post-Brady era. Well, of course he is. You know why? It's money, scratch, moolah. Let's be honest. Home playoff game brings in a ton of money. Home playoff win gets you to the next round. What is that? More money. Super Bowl. What does it bring in? The biggest sporting event in the world, not named World Cup, I'll say. I always think the World Cup, I always think we're a little bit arrogant when we say biggest sporting event in the world when we say Super Bowl. I got to believe the World Cup is a bigger sporting event. All of this factors into what? The frustration that's led to the owner to grow frustrated, if not downright angry, over this shortage of success, according to sources that told The Atlantic. Well, listen to me here. Yes, because he didn't want Brady to go. Kraft didn't want to lose his favorite son. He trusted Bill Belichick. He trusted the Belichick way of we get rid of you one year early. That's what really pisses him off. The money is at the root of all of this. Look, if they were winning without Brady, if this had gone well, no problem. Didn't even have to win at a major level, really. You had done the work. Get in the playoffs. Get to the AFC championship game. But what has happened, listen to this, the report just comes days after the Patriots suffered one of the worst losses in team history 34 to nothing, 72 to three, last two games. Yes, of course, Robert Kraft is frustrated. Yes, of course, Robert Kraft would be open to going sans Belichick, and he should be. I mean, look, sports is the ultimate meritocracy. When we're happy. Lose, we tolerate for a minute, based on your history, based on maybe you're a good dude, but ultimately, lose enough, you gone. You gone. Now, the bigger question isn't if. <laughs> I have having seen your moments. Kraft is going to get rid of Belichick. He is, if this continues. Now, is it going to be a firing? No. It's going to be a mutual parting. It's going to be one of those deals where Belichick needs to go spend time with his family, maybe get into TV, maybe go on a speaker circuit because the guy is pretty funny. But here's the deal. It's not a question of if, it's a question of how, and it's a question of when. But you ask me, can this be salvaged? I say this all the time in the NFL. Absolutely it can. How? When? See, here in Indianapolis, we worry about cap space. We want our GM to draft well. Oh, my God. We lost, but we drafted well. We have cap space. In real Super Bowl slash big-time markets, it's, well, I don't give a damn who's doing the playing. I don't give a damn if it's a six-round pick like Tom Brady. I don't give a damn if it's the first pick in the draft. When I go to the stadium... I want to see you win. When we lose, I don't give a damn how much our general manager saved on cap space. And that's what winning organizations do. They don't worry about ancillary crap, particularly in the NFL. Look, baseball, it's a little bit skewed. Small markets struggle. You can actually get to the trade deadline, change your entire team, for the better or for the worse. Football, bottom line. You can't redo your roster. Can't do it. You can add a guy, but how many times has adding a guy really put you over the top? Really put you over the top. We added this guy. Now in Indianapolis, we say Booger McFarland was a big addition to Peyton Manning winning a Super Bowl, and that may be true. But the bottom line was you had Peyton Manning. So you're stuck with this, Bill Belichick, and there is no excuse. You're the general manager. You're the guy that went and told Robert Kraft in the whole world, I'm smarter than everybody. Brady is done. He's finished. It's over. So now Kraft's going to fire him. Now, a lot of you are going to say you can't fire Bill Belichick. Must I remind you Jimmy Ursay cut Peyton Manning in Indianapolis? Must I remind you Indiana University fired Bob Knight? Now, you can say, well, here are the reasons why. OK, you can say, well, Bob Knight deserved it, blah, 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 blah. You could say Peyton Manning was injured, didn't know whether he was going to play or not. And that's great. But that's not how the, the real community looks at it. That's not how the sports community, people inside the sports community look at it. They'll look at it that way. You do. Fans do. Coaches, GMs, players look at it like, damn, all that Bob Knight did for Indiana. All, are you kidding me? All that Peyton Manning, including a hospital, has a statue out front did for the Indianapolis Colts, there would be no Lucas Oil Stadium were it not for Peyton Manning, and they still let him go? That's how people inside sports, executives, coaches, players look at it. I say it all the time. There's a monster difference between how media and fans look at sports than, and, than the actual participants in sport. Bill Belichick knows what I'm saying is accurate because it's there in black and white. One playoff game since Brady's gone. Under 500 record since Brady's gone. Team looks abysmal, abysmal since Brady's gone. Fans may not believe it. Media will pile on because, well, Belichick doesn't give them anything. But inside sports, coaching at all, you got to be out of your mind. They know it, 1,010%. Belichick, the people under him, the people around him, the players know it. Everybody inside sports knows it. Media, eh, they got their bias. But you mark my words. This, and it doesn't have to be 34. It could be 34-33 you lose this week. It doesn't have to be routes. It doesn't have to be embarrassment. The number on the right being more than the number on the left in the win-loss column, this year means you are going to see Bill Belichick out, period. Boom. Speaking of winning, now let me give you the other side of it. So for a few years, the (laughs) the NCAA basketball world was under siege for cheating. The Southern District of New York had, quote, the game plan. You college coaches, we've got the game plan. We know what you're doing. We know how you're cheating. We know how you're breaking federal law. They got up the Southern District of New York with all of their high powered attorneys and did a PowerPoint, had slides, had rule, had everything. And the world was watching. And the world was waiting. And the world was saying, what's going to happen here? Boy, college basketball is going to implode. Well, nothing really happened. An assistant coach named Book Richardson went to jail. Sean Miller got fired, but guess what? He got hired to another million-dollar job. Bill Self was all of the focus. Bill Self in Kansas was the guy. Holy cow. Curtis Thompson, Bill Self, they're cheating. They're the epitome of cheating. They are doing everything wrong everybody else is doing everything right and Bill self is going to jail. Well guess what in a decision announced Wednesday the NCAA's independent accountability review panel uh, <laughs> process led to a downgrade in the severity of the level of the five level one allegations against Kansas ultimately judging, This is a level two case. The independent resolution panel gave Kansas a three-year probation with no effect on the postseason. Head coach Bill Self, who was charged with a level one violation and was suspended for games, was instead charged with level three violations, no additional penalties. Curtis Townsend, the assistant, who was suspended for games last year as well, Also had his charges reduced from level 1 to level 2 and a level 3 violation with no additional penalties. Neither coach faces a show cause, which could have been applicable for level 1 violations. What this means is this. Level 1 means you cheated your ass off. Show cause means you're going to have to go in front of a board to get back into coaching. Level 2 means, ah, you screwed up. Level 3 means, ah, you made a phone call at the wrong time. So in the meantime, Kansas has gone on to win a national championship. Kansas has maintained itself as a power. Kansas is really the premier program in NCAA basketball, and Bill Self is in the Hall of Fame. So what they're saying to me is this. Look, I know we suspended you. I know whatever you did was bad enough to warrant a suspension. But, hey, we ain't really that mad about it now that we look at it. What they're really saying is, look, Here's the deal. We really, 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 really don't have anything going on here in terms of power. We really don't have any suck here. If we would continue down this path and self and Kansas made it very, very clear, very clear that they would sue, very clear that they were unafraid, very clear that they were just going to sit idly by and take it. Well, the NCAA is like, owing a lifetime in lawsuits. So they weren't going to sit there and try to prove their points in a court of law because they don't win. And Kansas was unafraid. Kansas said, hey, look, yeah, there were violations. Yeah, we might cheat. But you know what? We've always been cheating in Kansas. It's what we do. How do you think historically we got great players to come to Lawrence, Kansas, I mean, I'm going back to Wilt Chamberlain from Philadelphia or wherever Wilt was from. Coming out to Kansas? You've been to Lawrence, Kansas? It's nice. The fans are great. But it ain't a place anybody from Philly or New York or L.A. wants to go to. But somehow, way, they've always gotten players to, to come out to Kansas. Hey, I don't know. Maybe they put a nice steak at the downtown eatery. I don't know. But I've always thought, yeah... Kansas, my ass. How are you doing that? It's like in the mafia, right? The Lufthansa heist in Goodfellas. Hey, look, we got the Lufthansa heist. We got a lot of money. Don't go flashing it around. Guy went and flashed it around. He got off. We don't flash it around in Kansas. We're in Kansas. We're going to get great players. Don't ask how we do it. We just do it. So here's the deal. No additional penalties. And I like Bill Self. And truthfully, I'm happy for Bill Self. I am. I'm very happy. Because I think the cheating thing now is completely out the door. I think the cheating right now is gone. Don't even worry about it. If I were a college coach, the only thing that I would worry about is breaking the law. I don't want to wake up at night thinking that I could go to jail, thinking that I could get investigated, not by the NCAA, who cares about the NCAA? I don't want to have a problem with the Southern District of New York or their ilk, the local prosecutor, somebody getting on a high horse and saying, you know, because of all of the money coming into college basketball and football and college sports in general, we're going to investigate this. Not for NCAA rules violations, oh, hell no, but for law, the law, breaking the law. You know, the one thing you don't really care about is guy from the NCAA coming to visit you. I left West Virginia in 2002. West Virginia was so corrupt, so crooked, uh, I got information from a player that they were fixing basketball games, academic fraud, you name it, they had it. I left West Virginia. I told the president, yeah, thank you, but no thank you. I'm gone. I went back to Bowling Green. Sure enough, phone call. Hey, this is the NCAA. We want to come in and talk to you. Yeah, come on in. I'm not saying nothing. So they come in. I gave them nothing. The guy that came in was a nice guy. He's sitting in my office. And he goes, hey, by the way, my daughter goes to school here. You got any jobs available? I'd like to be on your staff. I'm like, no. I don't have any jobs available. He ended up on the staff of Central Michigan. That's a true story. Now, I'm guessing it's a little different now. They say they've got all these ex-NFL or FBI. They say they've got all of these former cops, investigators. That's ah, great. But I've never respected it. You don't care if an NCAA guy knocks on your door. What you care about is those guys in those blue windbreakers that have big yellow FBI on the back. That a guy in a dark suit with an earpiece comes into your office like the Attorney General. I think it was the Attorney General of the state of Indiana to come in on Bobby Knight when his son uh, Timmy wasn't paying off uh, thousands of dollars in stuff that he was supposed to give away at camps. That's who you don't want to come in. But the NCAA comes in, bah, I got you NCAA right here. And the NCAA just proved what I have said forever. Just win, baby. You can do anything in the world. You can get fired for anything in the world in college football and college basketball. You can call up hookers like Hugh Freeze. You can cheat your brains out. But I'm telling you this. If you get fired for anything, anything other than losing, you'll always get another job always. If you're fired for losing, you ain't getting another job. If you're fired for housing, whatever, you're going to get another job. Hell, Dave Bliss, who in his program had a murder between players. He's on tape covering it up. He ended up coaching some Christian school for crying out loud. I'm just telling you, that's the way of the world in college sports. Get fired for anything except losing, and you too can be Bill Self. All right, this is an incredibly sad story. This is an incredibly ridiculous story, and this is a story that you hate to see because it immediately goes, I think, to the effects of playing football. Remember we told you about Sergio Brown. Sergio Brown was, by all accounts, a model student, a model citizen in Maywood, Illinois. Sergio Brown went to Notre Dame. Sergio Brown played five, six years in the NFL, including with the Indianapolis Colts. He was kind of a nondescript player. I mean, good enough to make teams. People here in Indianapolis have said that they like Sergio Brown. A couple people that came in contact with Sergio Brown said, hey, good dude. Really good dude. Okay. Fast forward to about a month ago, Maywood, Illinois, where Sergio Brown was from. Maywood is a suburb of Chicago. Used to be a racetrack there. Uh, Proviso East, where Doc Rivers and a ton of other fantastic athletes went to school. It's not the greatest area, but it certainly isn't South Side of Chicago bad. I've been to Maywood a bunch, a ton. It's fine. It's a middle-class city, neighborhood, whatever you want to call it. Well, fast forward. Sergio Brown's mother was found dead. Sergio Brown's mother was found dead in the creek. Sergio Brown's mother was found dead with a blunt trauma, blunt trauma to the head. Sergio Brown went on a unhinged rant. I mean an unhinged, crazy rant about the FBI did it. They've been after him. The local police did it. They have been after him. And people looked and said, what? Huh? the hell is going on here? Then, Sergio Brown on Instagram posted videos of him somewhere in Mexico. Dancing. Dancing with the bigots. I mean, he was dancing like it was 4th of July and it was a street party in Zionsville, Indiana. It was a blast watching, you know, a Sergio Brown appeared to be having. He's giving it this, he's shaking it like that. You know what I'm saying, doesn't seem to have a care in the world. Well, this is Sergio Brown's mugshot. Ex-NFL player Sergio Brown has been taken into custody in San Diego on a fugitive Felony warrant. Illinois has obtained a warrant for first-degree murder against Sergio in the death of his mother, Myrtle Brown. Now, this isn't to be celebrated. This is horrible. This is the worst kind of horrible because this is the worst kind of crime. There is no love like a mother's love. There is no compassion like a mother's compassion. Nothing. I used to tell my kids all the time when they would be smart alecks to their mother, be careful here. There are only a certain amount of people that love you and there is literally nobody, zero, zip amount of people that love you more than your mother. So be very careful being snotty, being very careful being angry, being very careful being a smart aleck, whatever to your mother. This is the worst kind of crime, a son murdering his mother. And I don't know Sergio Brown. I've never met Sergio Brown. But I'm going to make a statement here. Sergio Brown looks crazy to me. He does. Now, I don't know whether it's drugs. I don't know whether it's alcohol. I don't know whether it's CTE. But Sergio Brown looks crazy. This is the mugshot in San Diego being picked up as a fugitive, on a fugitive uh, arrest warrant for murdering your mother. Looks like he doesn't have a care in the world. Truthfully, he looks crazy. Now, that's a supposition that, you know, I guess I could be called a number of things, including the all-inclusive word racist for saying that. But when you Judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. I think any reasonable person that have, would go back and look at Sergio Brown's initial Instagram post, I was going to say tweet, but post, second Instagram post, how much weight he's lost, how much different he looks than he was with an NFL player, I think you'd agree with him. And then the fact that now there apparently is evidence enough that this man killed his mother, I think everybody would agree with me that this man is crazy. Now, the initial thing would be drugs or CTE, and I think that would be accurate. But this is a horrific story. This is a story that has no good ending. There is no Hallmark movie happy ending. There is no spin that can make this anything than awful. And I'm guessing Sergio Brown, because of the way he's approached this, at some point will be talking. I'm guessing Sergio Brown at some point will be blaming. I'm guessing at some point Sergio Brown will be talking crazy. There is a real danger out here. I feel like, and I'm sure I'm wrong about this, but I feel like damn near every day, or at least three or four times a week, a former NFL player is doing something nuts, is doing something crazy. And I ask why. The other day, a running back named Deion Lewis caused a big disturbance. We've seen disturbances from NFL players left and right. And I wonder this. You know what? What's going on here? It's got to be more than CTE. It's got to be more than concussions. Let me tell you why. Dick Butkus died. You can't tell me the way Dick Butkus played, that he didn't have double-digit concussions. But you never heard crazy things out of him. You don't really hear crazy things coming out of old-school NFL players that weren't nearly as protected. Yes, they limp. Earl Campbell, I saw him the other day in a wheelchair. That is incredibly sad to me. Their bodies took an incredible toll. But I think it's worth asking. We can throw this on CTE, which is, you know, pro- uh, real. But probably it's there's more to it. There's got to be. There's got to be. Because you just don't see these old school players doing what these guys do. You don't. I don't know the answer. I wish I knew the answer. But I don't. But it just seems to me that Sergio Brown, you're going to see it again this week. You're going to see not another Sergio Brown, but I guarantee you when I open this phone up in the morning and I look at what's going on in the world and I scroll all these different websites, there'll be a former football player acting crazy. Is it the money, the freedom of the money, the entitlement of the money combined with CTE, maybe some drugs? I don't know. But I know you're going to see it. I do. Hey, uh, did you know I cannot wait, and I want it to continue. I want this skin in the game documentary to continue. This is ESPN's race-baiting deal. This is ESPN turning down the temperature on race and politics on ESPN. This is a complete crap show. It's starring a guy named Ibram X. Ibram X' real name is Henry Rogers. Ibram X, like many out there, on both white and black guys, is making money being a race baiter. Everything is race. Everything must be race. It is race. What ha- race? What Race. I'm telling you, it's race. It's race. Yeah, race. Well, guess what? The other day, here's what they did. They decided on Ibram X's show that they are going to Attack white baseball. The unwritten rules are an invisible doctrine that pressures all players to conform to a white American style of playing the game. The unwritten rules essentially tell the Latino players that the language they speak, the way they play the game, needs to be changed. I don't know. And they talk about, on this show, how difficult it is as a Latino player. Well, I got to tell you, I don't know what to tell you. You come over to the United States. You're playing a sport. All right, what are you supposed to do? Is the entire sport supposed to change because of you? Well, we don't get to celebrate. Hey, Latino players didn't make up celebrations. Latino players have been celebrating baseball forever. So if I go to Brazil, am I supposed to complain that I'm supposed to assimilate To a Brazilian way of life. Am I supposed to do that? Or am I supposed to complain. That well wait a second. This is hard for me. This is hard. And if the United States was so bad. Why are literally millions of people. Wanting to flee countries. To go to the United States. Thousands of Latino baseball players. Can't wait to play in the United States. I don't know. I don't know. And then Danny Z in an article here on Outkick, after Ibram X, or let's just call him Henry Rogers, <laughs> says that people think Latin players are bad for baseball. Well, you can do this. Danny Z did it for you, he looked it up. Ain't nobody saying that. Who's saying that? He says, Danny Z, I Googled it. The only stories that come up are ones arguing that either MLB or America is racist and or exploiting Latin American players. Who's exploiting? You make millions of dollars to play baseball. Honest to God. We use the word exploiting like we we use racist. You come to Major League Baseball. You play on a Major League Baseball team. You get paid millions of dollars to play baseball. I don't know that anybody gives a rat's ass about any baseball player other than when they're on a field. When's the last time a baseball player really got into their social consciousness, either by commercials, social media, crime activity, anything? Baseball players are the most nondescript athletes, along with hockey players, in modern sports. There is not one article suggesting that baseball is better with less Latin players. He lays out the idea that Latin players are forced to assimilate into American culture. Really? All right. The argument is it's wrong to think immigrants to this country should fit in with the American culture. I moved to Brazil. None of them spoke English. They need to respect my American heritage. They need to respect it. No. I think, well, uh, it's their country. You have no right to go there and demand, this is Danny Z, that they adhere to your cultural norms. Huh? Really? No kidding. Isn't it amazing how racist these anti-racists are? They build themselves as anti-racists. I got into a hassle with one of them the other day. Some L.A. puke who's trying to be the next Reverend Al. He is. And he's a racist clown that anything you say comes back to racist. You don't understand. Only I understand you're stupid. Huh? Boy, I got to tell you, and I say this with the border. Our country is so horrible that people are willing to die to get into it. Let me say that again. Our country is so horrible that people are willing to die, cross rivers, Put a hundred people in a john boat, go through razor wire to get in. Huh. (laughs) That's to God. What is wrong with assimilating into America? You left your homeland for a better opportunity. You left your homeland for millions, the opportunity for millions. But it's bad to be an American? Huh. All right. The unwritten rules are an invisible doctrine that pressures all people to conform to white American style of playing the game. Okay. I don't know. Is stealing bad? I don't know. First of all, and I said this before, and Danny Z says it, hey, Latin American players did not invent celebration. They did not invent being happy. Right? (laughs) Back in the day, Bob Gibson and others would hit you. You hit a home run, you strut, I'm going to hit you. If that's the white way of playing, well, plenty of African-American players and pitchers adhere to it. Honest to God. (laughs) Uh, I find the whole thing comical. All right. There you go. Keep race Now, there's a player named Vargas. Vargas plays for the Dodgers. He talked about the difficulty he faced when he came to America to play minor league baseball. No one in Michigan and Utah spoke Spanish. It made him tough. It made it tough to order food in restaurants. Oh my God. Oh my God. This guy came from Cuba, where, oh, I don't know, there are certain restrictions on just waking up in the morning. And this guy who now is playing for the Dodgers making millions is upset about not being able to get a burger. Oh my God, change the menu! Because some baseball player who left the horrors of Cuba can't order a Big Mac. Hey, look, Royale with cheese should get it done at McDonald's. At least that's what they said on Pulp Fiction. Oh my God, can you imagine? I left Cuba. I left the horrors of a communist regime to come to a free society. But I can't order a burger. I can't do it. I can't believe they're making me do this. Oh, by the way, this guy came freely to our country. He wanted to come to our country. Couldn't wait to get to our country. Couldn't wait. Couldn't get the same opportunity anywhere else but I can't order a burger. All right. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Point at it. Yeah, I don't know what to say. Hey, look, I've been to Germany. I couldn't order anything but a Wiener schnitzel. I wasn't mad about it. I didn't know nothing. I didn't complain about it. I'd go to Germany today, tomorrow, the next day if somebody said, hey, look, Dan, we're going to start a TV show there. You're going to be the star. You got a potential to make millions. Millions. Oh, all right. I would get on Etta Stone or Rosetta Stone and figure it out. Or I wouldn't go. I mean, it's not like we don't, you come over here and you don't know what the language is. But Harry Rogers, er, Ibram X or Abram X or whatever, you can't make money, ladies and gentlemen, if you're ex Abram or Abram X, if people are united. You can't make money. You can't get on ESPN. You can't have a documentary if there isn't anything to complain about. Ordering a hamburger here is more to complain about than living in Cuba under a communist regime. Yeah, well, man, as the great Candace Owens said, life is hard. Get a damn helmet. (laughs) Seriously. Memo. To my friend Norby Williamson, Stephanie Drooly, Dave Roberts, please continue this show. This show, it's called Skin in the Game, and ESPN made it. They don't want to cancel it because somehow, someway, they'll be afraid of ex-Ibram or Ibram X, calling them racist, or Bomani Jones saying they're racist, or this big one on TV right now named Martin Calling him racist, or Damian Woody and his up and down weight swings, calling him racist. I got two words for you. That's all I got. All right, before we get to the great Roger Clemens, LeBron James is under scrutiny. LeBron James, I'm going to give LeBron James credit here. Spring Hill, the Spring Hill company is he and his buddy Maverick Carter. Their film company. Their their company in media. And it's very successful because, as I've told you before, LeBron James and Maverick Carter are very organized with the projects that they put in front of at least Universal Studio Heads. LeBron James came out in total support, total support of Israel. Total support of Israel. Well, guess what? Fans are mad. Fans are unhappy. Fans are crabby. Why? Well, not supposed to do that. Let me tell you why LeBron James is supposed to do that. I'm reading a book called Powerhouse. It's about the creation of CAA, Creative Artists Agency. Biggest agency in the country. I was actually a part of it until I fired them because they weren't doing anything for me. But anyway, long story short, everybody in the book is Jewish. I mean everybody. Everybody. Everybody in TV and films is Jewish. LeBron James understands his audience. LeBron James understands if you're going to get into film, if you're going to get into any of this, all right, guess what? You better understand your audience. I want to say that's a part of it. I don't want to say that's all of it. I want to say it's because LeBron James understands, like most reasonable people, That people parachuting in to a festival, slicing up people, killing families, going into houses, videotaping slaughter, beheading babies, killing mothers, raping women, stabbing innocent people house to house is wrong. I mean, I would like to think the devastation of Israel is tragic and unacceptable. The murder and violence against innocent people by Hamas is terrorism. Spring Hill Company family sends our deepest condolences to Israel and the Jewish community. We pray for peace in the region and reiterate our continued commitment to fight hate in all its forms. Must work to ensure this tragedy does not spread even more hate, racism, and anti-Semitism. Good words. Garbage fans hated it. Assholes hated it. Ridiculous people like Black Lives Matter in Chicago hated it. I'm just telling you. Awful. Awful what people criticizing LeBron James and Maverick Carter stand for. They stand for nothing but hate. They stand for nothing but violence. They're not common sense people. They're garbage. And unfortunately, we have garbage people all across this world. Unfortunately, we have garbage in our Black Lives Matter Chicago. Unfortunately, look, you can be on either side. But if you don't condemn innocent people being murdered, slaughtered, babies being beheaded, Parachuters coming into music festivals for crying out loud and literally slaughtering moms and dads and children. I got nothing for you. Then you're just a hateful jackass, a biased, racist, ridiculous jackass. I got nothing for you. Good for LeBron James. Good for Maverick Carter. Deep down, like people are always going to dislike LeBron James. That just comes with the territory. But I've said this all over. Deep down, LeBron James, Maverick Carter are good people. I don't even know if it's deep down. Externally, they're good people. You ever hear of any problem with it, too? You ever hear anything bad other than you didn't like the fact that LeBron spray-painted or whatever? I get all that. I get that that's people. But you ever really hear anything bad? We got idiots doing idiotic things. We got people being slaughtered. And LeBron James, good for you. Maverick Carter, good for you. You stepped up. Uh, Roger Clemens next. Can't wait to talk to him. I'm going to talk to him about events in the world affecting baseball players. We'll be right back.
1: Looking for the hottest sportsbook offers? At Outkick, find exclusive promotions, expert picks, and the latest odds. Get in the game at outkick.com slash bet.
0: Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. All right, you got to understand something. Like playing basketball at Indiana for Bob Knight and in the 80s, we understood crazy competitiveness. We did. That's what we did. I mean, I was sitting next to Coach Knight when he threw the chair on the court at Purdue. I loved it, which I lead into my next guest, Roger Clemens. Like, look, you got to understand, I'm a massive Cub fan, Cub fan my whole life. I mean, honest to God, I, I, but Roger Clemens, who's basically my age, made his debut in 84, and I remember it. I was a junior. We were getting ready for our junior year at Indiana. We were number one in the country. We were, And I remember watching, holy shit, I remember watching Roger Clemens at Texas, and he makes his debut, and we're all fired up because you, my man, were crazy competitive. You were insanely competitive, and that fit for what we were all about with Indiana basketball. I'm sure you've never made that correlation, but there you go. That's how much we loved Roger Clemens when we watched you in college and and in your debut years. There you go.
1: Coach, Woody's a great great friend. I I love uh, Indiana basketball, and uh, I told Coach that I'm going to get over there to see a game, hopefully this next season. i got to bounce in and, and see my man.
0: 11-time All-Star, 354 wins. All right, I got to get right into this. You were, you're in a pennant race, 9-11 happens. You know, now the world is upside down with what's going on in Israel. How easy or how difficult is it, or how much do players pay attention to the world's surroundings? a little different because it was in New York, you were in New York, all that kind of stuff. But give me an overview on how players view world, world issues like this. You went through it.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, uh, when you ask the question, a lot uh, passes through my mind. And, and um, uh, <clears throat> well, I, I can just start off by saying it. Um, uh, my 24 years in the majors pale compared to what happened on 9-11. I was a New York Yankee. I was uh, actually supposed to pitch that night. I was going for my 20th win, which is a milestone for starting pitchers. Uh, Again, against my former team, the Red Sox. A buddy of mine, we're we're about uh, seven, eight miles from the World Trade Center, uh, on a top four of a a a condominium complex. We lived in there in New York City. And um, everybody knows what happens. I I was awoken that morning and uh, I, I, I thought it was outside my bay windows of my breakfast room. I, you know, you see four little four seat airplanes going down to give tours of Statue of Liberty. So I thought something just, there was a mishap there. My buddy said, no, it's way larger than that. Uh, we all know what happened. well, uh, I, I could actually see the, uh, the buildings and what was kind of going on. Fighter jets, uh, showed up right over top of us flying down in the area. I mean, it was just like we were in a foreign country. And uh, I- anyway, we all know what happened, but uh, what, what became of that is probably the coolest thing that I've ever gotten to do in my lifetime. Uh, and, and, and let me just uh, back up. I had my oldest brother uh, served in Vietnam. I had five uncles that served in the earlier wars, way back when, and uh, General Myers, our four-star general at the time, uh, went to high school with my agents and he called after everything uh, went down and uh, said, "Would you go to the Middle East to see our men and women?" And uh, I said, "Absolutely." Call, uh, Drew Carey, the comedian, went with us, and I think in seven or eight days we saw about thirteen or fourteen thousand uh, troops. Um, their energy was off the chart. Um, uh, obviously, they were you know big fans of the sport of baseball and. The pentagon had printed up a bunch of photos and about a thousand baseballs i signed on the way over there to see him to hand out and uh i i just couldn't be prouder to be an american and to see how and know why i was protected uh, and felt safe going out oh, to a mound in front really of 55,000 awesome. people and everything so it was it was uh it was unbelievable with the tragedy that happened and mr steinbrenner brought back when i pitched um i think you will remember uh, I pitched game three when uh, President Bush uh, uh, 43 came out and threw that perfect strike in, on the field with a bulletproof vest on in front of the world And um, but again, there wasn't um, a dry eye in the in the place. I mean, it was super emotional. You really have to pay attention and, and and refocus when you see something that is far superior than the game of baseball that's going on around you in your world like you asked about. So yeah, I pay attention to what's going on in our world. Obviously, Uh, I I love making history, uh, being part of history. And thank God I got to make a little history when I went out there to pitch. But yeah, I took it, I took my job very seriously. I mean, that was instilled in me by my mother and my grandmother. I mean, uh, my grandmother always said, if you're going to be a ditch digger, be the best damn ditch digger in the country. And uh, I watched my mom. That's why I I get a little upset when people mouth off and, and don't do their homework. Uh, and they talk about certain athletes, you know, having a silver spoon and athletes this, and you know, how much people get paid, whatever. But, um, you know, I was taught to, um, you know, uh, you know, whatever city I wore on my chest, I, I took it very seriously. It was my work. And again, I watched my mom work three, three jobs, so I could have a sweet glove and the best pair of cleats growing up, you know? So, uh, I, I had a great background. My pops died when I was young, so my mom, my my grandmother, uh, pretty much raised me. And and uh, and you know, again, uh, uh, you know, being a professional and 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 doing your work was very important.
0: Roger, how how was Bush? You, did you get a chance when he before he went out there? Did you get a chance to talk to him, see him? Did you? was he nervous? I mean what was he like as he was going up those steps or in the dugout to throw that pitch out because that pitch was so meaningful to the United States and really all across the world?
1: Yeah I live in Houston Texas and and not too far was uh, uh, I, I knew 41 better than 43 but obviously met him a number of times They didn't live too far from us and and president uh, uh bush 41 would would uh would come to the house i have a horseshoe pit in my backyard because of because of 41 and uh so but uh yeah he was he was locked in and he came into the locker room i was getting ready to go out and do my bullpen session to get ready for the game and he came in and asked where there were somewhere where he could throw a couple um uh, a couple baseballs because he wanted to um you know, obviously he wanted to look good in front of the world and see if with this bulletproof vest, if he could, you know, you know, actually, you know, you know, make, you know throw the pitch, he ended up going down to our bullpen and there was a famous story. They had it, um, they had it documented pretty well. Uh, he went down there and I think Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada, my teammates were down there doing their, uh, early hitting work and, uh, president Bush. Uh, Through five or six pitches, and he said, "Yep, I'm good to go." And and just for the camera and, and to make conversation, he looked at Derek and asked Derek, "You know, hey, is there any pointers you can give me?" And, and uh, famously, Derek said, uh, "Yeah." He said, uh, "You have to throw from the mound. You can't throw from the grass or the dirt. Get up on the mound." And uh, President 43 said, "I got that, no problem." And then Derek said, "Yes, Mr. President. Another thing. This is New York and Yankee Stadium. If you bounce it, they're going to boo you." <laughs> so he said, Oh, you know, I'm nervous now. I'm a little nervous. So, uh, uh, but he went out there, I was in the bullpen and I got to turn around. I stopped warming up. I had our pitching coach Mel Stottemeyer turn around also. And, uh, we watched uh, the entire stadium light up with, with, uh, with flashballs people taking pictures and, uh, he threw a perfect strike. So, um, I, I hate what's going on right now across the pond. Um, uh, uh, it's just, it's just, just heart-wrenching, and uh, to hear the stories that are coming out right now, what's going on in our world, um, uh, I, I just hate to hear it.
0: Yeah, do you, think, do you think in the dugouts players are talking about it? Locker rooms, clubhouse? What's that? Do you think players in, 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 in the playoffs, in the clubhouse, are they talking about what's going on in Israel?
1: Oh, no, no, no question, because I think there's a couple of the players that have family there and uh, they're extremely yeah. worried about it. I think they um, uh, I, I wish I could tell you the exact name of the two or three players that I've heard stories on so far. Um, but they have family there. And uh, so I'm sure that, you know, trying to go out and do their job right now when they have uh, close relatives wondering if they're uh, alive. Uh, and 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 all right, uh, I, I'm sure it's a it's a conversation, and, and and I'm sure that once the game starts, it's a it's a means to to get their mind off of that right now.
0: Hey Roger, I gotta ask you. Last night I'm watching, and I, Lance Lynn is from here. I'm in Indianapolis. I've known Lance for a long time. Gives up four bombs, actually five. One was called foul. Have you ever seen anything like that? And what? It, what do you do on the mound? Because you're basically sitting there naked, Roger. You're out there. You're naked by yourself in the mound.
1: Yeah, it sucks. I mean, Lance is a strike thrower, and, uh, you know, he's a strike thrower, but, you know, his uh, slider or slur, whatever you want to call it, it was catching too much of the plate. You, very I don't know if I've ever seen somebody hit a foul home run and then get back up to the plate and and then hit an actual home run. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Um and we always say, as pitchers, which Lance doesn't walk a lot of guys. He again, he pitches the contact. Um, solo home runs are rally killers, is what you know what they talk about. But when you give up, you know, obviously, when you give up three or four in a row, then you got a problem. You got to shut it down in the playoffs immediately, and uh, you know, and try and, and try and get momentum back on your side as fast as you can do it. I, I remember World Series in Florida. I gave it was supposed to be my last start. And I gave up a three-run homer to to Miggy. I always, now that Miggy's retired, uh, we did a bunch of cool videos for him retirement. I told him he's welcome for me jump starting his career. His career, and uh, (laughs) but uh, I stepped off the back of the mound while he was rounding the bases, and I was thinking, you know, this is not the way I want to go out. I've got to, I've got to shut it down immediately. And I went after I got the the final out in that first inning. I went in and told the guys, that's it. That's all they're getting. So if we can. Just scratch our way back. Uh, we're going to be fine, and, and that's what we did.
0: Hey Roger, what? It, you you won 354 games. You pitched in the biggest moments and it, historic moments. Um, but when you give up something like that, I, I, my, I, I'm guessing my first inclination would be to get pissed off. Like, But I'm looking at Lynn last night and other pitchers, and there's just simply nowhere to hide. There's there's nothing you can do, right? There's nowhere to go. It's you, you're out there, and you know what? F it. I got nowhere to be, and people are looking at me.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're locked in. You are kind of feel like you're on an island out there a little bit, but um... – I, I think the best thing is, is being a power pitcher. I was always a power pitcher. I I, I never I wasn't a thrower. So if I didn't have my 97 and I had my 91, 92 with movement, uh, you know, I tell people uh, the guys I work with, I still do some work with the Astros and, and different players come to the house to throw on my indoor cage, off my indoor mound. And we talk about it all the time. Pitching is like Uh, real estate, you got to locate location, location, location. It's the velocity you need, you need movement, which a lot of guys have now. Um, uh, I know the spin rate. I know the, I'm in the middle of the road on the analytics. Um, I still think you got to have an eye and a heart test when you go out there and talk to a guy. Um, you know, you, I want him. you know, look, look, I I want my pitching coach to come out and talk to me, look in my eyes and I'm telling him I'm good. We can start going one out at a time so I can eat, eat outs. But, you know, again, some of these guys, uh, with this pitch calm, I always talk about you, you hear in your ear, fastball away, and you just grab the ball and you, you throw it without thinking about executing the pitch. And in the playoffs here, you've seen a lot of guys, middle, middle, uh, Sonny Gray did it the other day. I mean, he's been, he was on fire during the season. His what they call sweeper now is is a slurve. It's in between a slider and a curve, of course. And uh, he just caught a lot of plate with that and, and it cost him and and uh, you can't get into a throwing mode. The other guys, to be specific about your question, they if they do get a little pissed off and start overthrowing, it doesn't matter how hard you throw. Even if you throw 100 miles an hour, guys in the big leagues can put wood on a bullet. They love my youngest one, loves that gas. If you're going to try and overthrow and you catch a lot of the plate, and a hitter, all he has to do is get some barrel on it with a little backspin, and it's going a long ways.
0: I can't let you go without asking you. It, it, in my opinion, is one of the greatest moments in baseball. When you whip the bat back at Piazza, I've got to tell you, I thought it was the greatest. I don't know. It's just reactionary, right? I mean, you you had to explain it. Maybe in the modern world with Twitter, it had been a, but it seemed to me—I don't want to put words in your mouth—but it seemed like it was just reactionary to you being pissed off.
1: Well, the, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> there was some stuff going on that week in the media where guys are mouthing off, and uh, the, the, uh, some of my teammates w- weren't really uh, extremely happy, but. Uh, yeah, they said, I, you know, everybody, oh, you threw the bat at, I go, guys, seriously, if I wanted to throw the bat at, he was 15 feet, I could have thrown it oh through him. God. I said, I had no idea he was running. I think Mike said the same thing. It made great theater for TV and ratings, I guess, but uh, at the first moment when I said I thought it was the ball, I thought it was a line drive. I broke the bat, like I came in on him, and uh, he, he's a good hitter. He hit just about every breaking ball I threw to him, so he wasn't going to get a breaking ball. So I was throwing cross seamers and two seamers in on his hands, trying to crowd him as best I could. When I shattered the bat, it like broke in four pieces. The head of the bat came obviously right at me. For a split second, I thought I was getting a line drive, which you can tell that I got into impeccable fielding position. And when I broke down, the bat (laughs) took two bounces and came up into my lap, and I turned and whistled it to our on-deck circle and uh and and didn't think anything of it it wasn't even a big deal i mean i went on to pitch i don't know another seven really stellar innings and then after the game everybody's trying to make a, a a a big deal about it so um but yeah we wanted i wanted to get that at bat over everybody was um you know talking about it it almost got to be bigger than the world series game itself so but yeah it was uh it was good theater i whistled it over there on the on deck circle and uh and then we, we got on with the game. So yeah, it was, it was pretty good.
0: Hey, last thing is Texas football ever going to be really back. I mean, really, really <laughs> back, really uh, well, back.
1: <laughs> you just talk. well, first of all, I don't know how the coaches, uh, any of the head coaches uh, uh, are, are able to recruit with this portal stuff with guys jumping here, jumping there. I mean, I, I have no idea, but um we, you know, we always have a saying at Texas, we don't rebuild, we reload. And uh, that's what right. we did on the baseball program, and, and they're definitely doing it on the, on the football side of things. So that, that was a, a, a definitely Oklahoma threw a wrench in our soup. We had bigger plans, so uh, hopefully the guys can run it out now, and then we'll see where we land uh, and, and where we go from there.
0: Hey, tell me about your foundation before I let you go.
1: Yeah, no, the I appreciate it. Yeah, the Roger Clemens Foundation. We just celebrated our 30th uh 30th year. We help at-risk children and uh love doing it. I've got uh uh wonderful people over at the the office there that really push me out in front uh of the fans and and uh and get people to make nice, you know, nice donations. I do a, some really cool things, now I told everybody I'm kind of done doing the sit-down dinner where you get the cold piece of chicken, uncooked piece of steak, and you buy an (laughs) auction item that you never ended up using. So I do these golf outings and I do these BP clinics where I throw BP to different corporations and guys. And sometimes they bring uh, their little league teams. Uh, I also do a really, really cool one uh, with the Red Sox deal. I get to go to Fenway Park throw BP at Fenway park for an auction for them. And, and we share the, uh, the donations with the Jimmy fund who I've been tied to since I was a rookie there in Boston. So all the fans and all your uh, viewers, uh, uh, check out Roger Clemens foundation. We got some good fun stuff and, and I, and I love doing it.
0: Hey Roger, I hope you'll come back, man. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Always have been since you were in college and we got to watch you know, you and then the Red Sox and the Yankees, man, I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for coming on.
1: You got it, baby. And and let me tell you, I enjoyed pitching at Wrigley. You talk about history. There's some history there. I love that place. Ooh. And of course, Fenway Park and Old Yankee Stadium. New Yankee <clears throat> Stadium's nice, but old Yankee Stadium, we had ghosts run around in that place. <laughs>
0: Man, I gotta tell you, you talked about uh, Midgey. I was there when the when the freaking Marlins beat the Cubs the game after the Bartman game, uh, and he was 20 years old. Isn't it amazing how fast time goes? Like he was 20 years old then, uh, Midgey, and next thing you know, he's retiring. It's unbelievable.
1: Unbelievable. And the Cubs missed a big opportunity after they won the World Series. The next year the first pitch of opening day the first pitch they should have had Bartman walk out on a leash with a goat <laughs> and throw out the first pitch that's where they should have that kid come back he's and 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 walk out there with the goat with him
0: I think he's still in hiding I do I, do. I no, think I he's know, still like underground Hey Roger thank you my friend it's great talking to you
1: You got it, baby appreciate you having me on
0: Yeah, that's Roger Clemens, the Rocket, man. Look, look, I didn't have many idols that were my own age, right? But, man, when he pitched, I watched because the dude was crazy competitive, like insanely competitive, the Rocket. Hey, we're going to have David Wells coming in right now. Let's go. David Wells next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me Across the Outkick Network. Hey, this is like Legends Day for me. Like, you know, I'm the same age as these guys, and I watched them pitch the Yankees. I didn't realize David Wells pitched 21 years in the big leagues. 21 freaking years. He Obviously, we know David Wells from a lot of things, being a great pitcher in the postseason, 15th perfect game in the history. But I got to tell you, man, when I I said the same thing to Roger Clemens now. There are, like, you know, you, you grow up, you watch baseball. I was a big Cup fan. Fergie Jenkins, Bill Hands, all these guys. But then, as you know, you you go. There are certain guys that you're like, all right, he's pitching, I'm watching. Now a guy pitching, he's gonna throw three innings, so it doesn't matter. But you, Clemens, Fergie Jenkins, back in the day, brother, when you pitched, I watched because I knew you were gonna compete like a mother. Thanks for joining the show. Oh, my
2: pleasure. You know, that was our job. Go nine. I mean, we were programmed to do that from, you know, from the minor leagues on, maybe even high school. But, uh, you know, to go out there, you know, every five days, four days, whatever your rotation was, and strap it on and and go get them. You know, you're not going to be successful all the time. But for me, it was just, it was ingrained in my head that, you know, nine was the number. That's what Sparky Anderson told me every time before when I went out there. From the dugout, he goes see you in the ninth inning, kid. I'm like, if that isn't giving you a lot of uh, support and <laughs> yes. uh, you know and mindset to go out there and go nine, he didn't want Mike Henneman coming in. And he's he goes, he'll get his saves. I want you to get the CG. So I love that.
0: That's awesome. Hey, let me ask you because you you came off as like the everyman, the beer and pizza guy. It wasn't like you were ripped up there on the mound, okay? But I think that's a fraud. I think that's bullshit. I'll tell you why. You don't pitch 21 years in the bigs. You don't do what you did every four or five days and be an out-of-shape bowler. Now, break the myth. You were in unbelievably good shape. Maybe it didn't look like it, or am I wrong?
2: You know what? I always told them round is a shape, so that way they can't <laughs> they can't argue with that. But, uh, no, for a big guy, I still filled my position. I ran well. Uh, just didn't look like uh, most organizations wanted you to, to look, you know, not everybody is, is, uh, as a, has a, uh, what does it say? Andre Dawson waist, a size 28 and chiseled. But, uh, but to me, you know, it was something that I did. I did my job. Well, I always said you don't run the ball to the plate, you know, as long as you can throw it 95 plus, I think you're okay with that. So, you know, the critics, you know, you, you, You shut the critics up when you go nine, you get a CG, and and they can't say anything bad about you. They can't talk about your weight. They can't talk about anything. They only talk about it when you have a bad game, and then you're out of shape. And, you know, to me, it's just a bunch of hypocrites, if you ask me. But to me, it didn't matter. Call me what you want, but I'm going to go out there and compete.
0: That's right. No, that's exactly right. And you know what? People have a tendency to kind of discard it. But I watched you pitch damn near. Every time that I could get you, and I know this, you're athletic as hell, fielding your position, as you said, running, moving, and 21 years says, it. all right, I love what you said. You, cut, you catching any backlash still for getting involved in the Nike and Bud Light and ripping their ass?
2: No, not really. I, I mean, I only go to, to social media from time to time, and, uh, you know, just depends on my mood swing. If, I, if I'm on there and I feel a little sassy i'll go on there and start talking some crap but uh you know what it, it's my beliefs i don't believe in what what uh you know all these companies coming into you know into sports and trying to create you know uh you know a woke atmosphere from you know especially like with nike with with you know with all the you know the slave labor that they're doing over there and you know in china uh i i just i saw enos uh uh, freedom this weekend up in New York for T to T Foundation. There our golf out at Frank Siller's golf outing out there at Liberty, and it was great. And you know he says it well. I mean to me, you you can't play this woke stuff and you know and bring it into sports and then have everybody do it. And so that's why I put I you know when Kaepernick did the uh, took the knee, you know it's a little disrespect to me because I'm a I'm a patriot. I I support our military. I come from a military town in San Diego. So, you know, you, you, you can't do things like that because of, you know, their beliefs, you know what, that's fine. Your beliefs are your beliefs. I don't have any problem with that, but don't go out in national TV and take a knee for what that is. Cause that doesn't prove anything in my mind. You know, it, it proves that you're you're an idiot and that you're, uh, you're standing up for a cause. When the Anthem's there, you live in America you do the anthem. You do the Pledge of Allegiance. You know that's that's what you do. That's what we were taught to in in elementary school. Put your hand over your heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance. That that stands for something. That means a lot. But when you got these guys out there for whatever their ideology is and what they want to believe in, there's other ways to to uh, protest that. But you don't do it, and then you show the world, and then everybody catches on. To me, it's 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 not fair to the younger generation because they don't understand those values and what it, what it's for they just look up uh, if they're if they idolize that guy that's all right but don't follow in his footsteps for the wrong reason try to you know get your own identity and figure it out do your do your due diligence and, and figure out what you're going to protest for but don't protest our, our flag and, and our military
0: would you be outspoken today if you were a player? Would you be on Twitter? Would you be doing any of those things?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, guaranteed contracts are there for a reason. If you get a guaranteed contract and you're making, you know, five, 10, 20, 40 million a year, you got a guaranteed contract. I'd be speaking up like no other because, you know, what are they going to do? <laughs> if they if they trade you or, or they release you, you got that money. If you sign a hundred million dollar contract, you're getting that money regardless. So to me, it doesn't matter. That organization shouldn't stand for that. You have the right. That's what our First Amendment is for, is to speak your mind. But you know what? You got to, you got to kind of have. You don't really have to. Well, you do have to watch what you say from time to time. But to me, if you feel strongly about something, go ahead and support it. And if they, and if your organization wants to criticize you for it. There's other organizations. There might be organizations that don't mind that. But, you know, you're, you're not trying to be a distraction. But you know what? You're standing up for what you believe in. And like all these guys that are pro they stand up for what they believe in. But don't put it in sports. Keep it on the side. Go to Twitter. Go to do that. But don't do it on the field where everybody can see it.
0: Why do you think big brand companies do? Why do, why do you think big brand companies ignore the majority of their customers and, and push a woke ideology. Common sense says you shouldn't do that.
2: Well, you just said it right there. It's common sense. And, and that, that to me, it's, it, it, it really hurts a lot of people, you know, as an athlete, I didn't like it, you know, in my 21 years, I never really saw anything like that. You know, I, when I was, I went in a ball, I think 1983 in Kinston, North Carolina, and it was still a segregated town, and it it blew my mind. I didn't really understand it, and I didn't like it because my teammates were on the other side of the track, and we were over here, you know. And there was a guy that owned a restaurant right in the middle of the line, and we, you know, we all met there and had you know dinners, lunches, and all that, so we can all hang out as a team. But you know, you, you see that it just it it, it just it didn't really resonate with me then. And then now today we, with all this, you know, you got two sides, you got all these organizations, you got all this crap going on. So our whole world is divided. And to me it's in sports, it's a team thing. So you, 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 you win and you lose together, but you you try to find out each other's, you know, uh, you know, loyalty as a teammate, you know, you could pick your friends after the season. You don't have to like, your teammates, but you root for them and you do that during the season. And then these companies come in, like you said, and they're, they're, they're they're promoting a different message. And that's not the message. Our message is go out there and make the fans happy because there's a lot of fans out there that love our sports. So let them, let them go out there and enjoy it and quit taking the, take the politics out of
0: it. Let me switch to baseball. Um, What do the Yankees got to do to straighten this thing out? I don't like watching postseason baseball without my Cubs, Yankees, or Red Sox in it. What do they got to do, Yankees?
2: Well, you know, the players got to play. They got to go out and produce. And if they don't, you know, you send them – and and I took a lot of heat for that too, you know, when when I said that, you know, everyone's blaming Cashman. They're blaming Aaron Boone. They're blaming – it's like all the managers, all the GMs and all that, they get – they get criticized for it cuz they're going out and getting the players. So to me, it's it's a matter of if the players don't produce, send them a message and I don't care how much money they're making, send them down and let them sit in the minor leagues for a bit. Yeah, yeah, they got guaranteed contract, but they're not getting the publicity that they that they want in a big league stadium, go to a minor league stadium. It's not fun when you're in the big leagues and you go back down because it's 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 humiliating when you get sent down. But do your job, you know, and that's what they got to do. But it's not easy to go out and get a player because a guy could go out and have three great years and then you trade for him and all of a sudden he has three bad years. You never know what you're going to get. It's like what Forrest Gump, you know, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So that's the same thing with athletes. You don't know what you're going to get. A guy might get hurt and, and that's what it is. And then now all of a sudden the organization, the GM, the manager, they get all, they get the heat for it, and then usually they end up getting fired. It's the players. The players need to go out and step up, and they have to recognize that. And today, they're so scripted, if you ask me, because they got all the analytics. It tells them where to swing, where to throw, you know, all that. Why don't you do the old-fashioned way like we did, if you want to read the scouting report, and then pitch to your strengths. Hit to your strengths. You know you know the hitters. Guys, Mo Vaughn owned me. I'm sure he didn't have to look at any. He, that dude knew how to swing a bat. And he hit very well off of me. Trent Griffey Jr. hit very well off of me. So to me, go out and do your own reconnaissance. Do your own homework and learn how to pitch and and get away from all this crap because if you're gonna blame anybody, blame the athletics guys who are out there giving you all these numbers. You don't hear anything about them, fire them.
0: That's interesting. Did you when you had when you went to the mound and you were are getting ready for a game? How much of a scouting report did you have from the team? I know analytics weren't necessarily in baseball as much as they are now. And how much did you have from yourself?
2: Well, every organization has a scouting team out there. They go and scout the team maybe uh, a series before or two series before. right? And so they're out there doing their job. So they give us the feedback and they give it back to – to us and then we can have meetings I'll sit with my catcher like Jason Veritek was my catcher in Boston and he loved to go over the scouting report and give you the number I knew a lot of the hitters already so to me it was valuable if it was a guy I didn't know and I wanted to get some information on him then I I would look at the report that the scouts did out there that's why they have these advanced scouts that give you the proper information that you need it's just up to you and your ability to get these guys out these guys are good players don't get me wrong you know, you make a mistake, they're going to take you deep and they're going to hurt you and that's what you don't want. But, you know, you minimize your mistakes, you pitch to your strengths, you're going to have a great outing. I mean, you go look at, you know, at these greats, you know, Ron Guidry, Steve Carlton, Tom Seaver, all those guys, you know, they went out there with authority and they pitched to their strengths. That's why they were so good. They didn't have the technology that we have, you know, today or these kids have today. So they did it the old-fashioned way. They went out and earned it. And now it's hand it to you in a script, and it sucks if you ask me. <laughs> I,
0: I can't imagine. Like, I just talked to Roger Clemens and now you, and I can't imagine some guy that never played coming out to you with some graph or some pie chart about how you're supposed to pitch to freaking, I don't know, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. or, or <laughs> anybody. I mean, I can't imagine, right? Here's what you're do supposed you think to Roger- do based on the analytics.
2: Do you think Roger Clemens would look at that and do you think he would um, entertain Man. what they're doing today? Hell no, he wouldn't do it. That dude went out there and he was a competitor. He was a fierce competitor. Pedro Martinez the same way. These guys are fierce competitors that go out there and they pitch to their strengths and they'll send you a little they'll send you a message once in a while. That's what you have to do. You got to move their feet, you know remember that's your plate out there too. so you got to protect it. And that's what it is. But now it's like you don't see these guys pitching inside anymore. That was my strength. I didn't want a guy to get extended because if he did, man, it goes a long way.
0: Did you – last thing, I want to talk about your foundation in a minute, but were you there – you mentioned Pedro Martinez. Like, I'm a big Don Zimmer fan because I grew up outside Chicago. (laughs) And Zimmer and those guys, we went to the playoffs in 1984 for Christ's sake. Were you there with Martinez and Zimmer when Zimmer went flying?
2: You know what? I was there. And and when I saw that, I was trying to go around the thing. I come flying out of the dugout, and I pulled my groin, and I was hobbling over there. But I wanted to get a hold of Pedro so bad what he did to our Zim. Zim was the best. He was so awesome and (laughs) just so knowledgeable. But when he threw him down like that, that just wasn't – that you know that was that's like the shot you heard around the world you don't throw zim on the ground an old guy like that you know you could hurt the man so we were trying to get pedro big time and i had to pitch the next day so after that after that uh, bench clearing incident happened i'm straight in the in the uh, clubhouse getting treatment on my groin so i could pitch the next day and i think i ended up going out the next day and winning but it wasn't easy. I was I was in pretty much pain because I've never pulled my groin before and you know, that kind of hurt.
0: <laughs> so you pull you wait, you pulled your groin trying to get out of the dugout to get at Martinez. <laughs> so that's actually when you I, I hurt yourself out getting dugout. out of the dugout.
2: Ah. I can't flying out of that dugout. So you're in a sprint. So when you're not when you're not loose and you're tight, you're sitting there watching the game and you and you make a sprint like that, a lot of things can happen. You know, that's, you know, it's, you can, you can pull. I, I never knew I could pull a muscle. I knew I could pull fat, but not a muscle. But I found out that day.
0: <laughs> hey, the Perfect 33 Foundation, you're active in helping veterans. Tell me about it, please.
2: Yes. Uh, we just had our event uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, you know, my, my wife worked her butt off to get it, uh, you know, to get it going through the whole year as as well as i did she does you know behind the scenes i go out and get the celebrities a lot of the auction items and all that and she's gotta you know put everything in perspective on paper to give to the golf course so we've been doing this for eight years we we support our uh, navy seals and military for traumatic brain injuries uh so we started doing that and then we've kind of expanded our our organization uh we met frank siller two years ago uh, from tunnel to towers, uh, through Andy Pettit. So my wife and I are watching, she goes, you know what, call Andy and let's get a hold and let's do something with them. And that's how we got on board with tunnel to towers. And so the last two years we've written, we've written some big checks for their organization, you know, for their, uh, for their gold star members and, you know, their first responders and all that to help them out. And I was just up in New York for their event, which was a wonderful event. So. You know, that's what we do we try to help out as many people as we can you know considering what we can do but we're just trying to keep it to a minimum because you know everybody needs help so but we found that tunnel of to towers is, is a fantastic organization you know they do great things and we've got to meet a lot of I actually i had lunch yesterday at uh, right here at uh, good old uh, italian eight there in new york city i had lunch with them yesterday and, uh, it was, it was just, it was awesome because these guys deserve it. You know, they lost, I think 10 guys in their, in their unit. And, you know, it's, it was a sad, sad day in nine 11, but, uh, you know, we're helping these guys out as well. And, and that it's, you know, if we could do it and we can help people out, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're all about with, with the perfect 33 foundation.
0: Hey, David, thanks for coming on, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks.
2: <laughs> my, my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Hey, what a great dude, man. David Wells. Hey, look, round is a shape. What the hell's wrong with you people out there? I subscribe. I subscribe to that. David Wells, 21 years in the big leagues. And I swear to God, when he pitched, I watched. I did. I'm sorry. I just, uh, I did. Hey, I got a couple of things to get to, including Barry Melrose, Barry Melrose. Those of you that know Barry Melrose know that Barry Melrose is hockey. On ESPN. Barry Melrose speaks. People listen when it comes to hockey on ESPN and other places. Longtime NHL player, NHL coach, longtime ESPN hockey analyst. He's stepping down as he battles Parkinson's disease. And you know what? Uh, I met Barry twice during my time going to ESPN, and he was always a great guy. And when you talk to people in and around ESPN, of course, There are a lot of jackasses. Of course, there are a lot of people that have incredibly high opinions of themselves as they've gotten more and more popular. Some of the most popular people that you see are some of the biggest jackasses, but not Barry Melrose. Barry Melrose to literally everybody at ESPN. Uh, If you want to bring ESPN people together, just say what a great guy Barry Melrose is, and everybody will tell you a story or maybe a time where they met him. I just said hello, didn't really ever have the chance to sit down and talk to him. But he was nice to me in the brief time that we had. But I'm telling you, everybody at ESPN would gather around and say what a great dude Barry Melrose is. And I hope and pray that Barry Melrose, as he fights uh, this terrible disease, overcomes it. And he will. He'll live a very healthy, a very happy, a very productive life. Because Barry Melrose is one of the toughest dudes you will ever ever see. Uh, When we come back, you know, it's really interesting. I was watching the coverage on Fox News and I saw this guy and he was a guy that I'm like, wow, wow, is he good? Like, is he really, really good? And you know what? We're going to celebrate him. We're going to give our damn awards and a Fox News, not an anchor, not a hot lady, not a guy in the field on the ground, boots on the ground in the Gaza strip, in the middle of the fighting. We're going to give him an award when we come back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. All right, let's make absolutely, positively, no mistake about it. None whatsoever. This is the greatest show on TV. I mean, where else are you going to get interviews like what you got today where it's just fun? What are you going to do? We give you, we absolutely give you what ESPN, every other show, I'm not going to mention our network or our whatever, uh, NFL network. I'm dying for a morning show. I am. There's nothing I watch at 7 or 8 o'clock. That fulfills me. Well, this show is the best show you could possibly watch. And the most fun, and we'll continue to grow it. You know, every Friday and Thursday, mostly Thursday now, we give you our Don't At Me Awards, a.k.a. The Damn Awards. Here it is, the Hero of the Week. Now, their heroes come in different forms, and you know that I really dislike the media. I have a distaste for the media. Well, Fox News reporter Trey Yingst. Deserves a Pulitzer Prize. He does. I'm watching Trey on Fox News. I don't know his name. I'm watching Fox News, and there's this reporter who is just in the middle of it. I mean, he's ducking underneath stuff. He is reporting. He's doing it with such clarity and class, I could not believe it. I did not know his name. I found out his name. Trey, Y-I-N-G-S-T. His nonstop coverage of what is going on in Israel, his nonstop coverage of the Israeli-Palestinian war has been sensational. It absolutely has been sensational. I think this man deserves a Pulitzer Prize. I think this man deserves an Emmy. Whatever award you want to give this man or whatever award is available to this man, he should get it. Not only is he brave for going into this area and being right around where the fighting is, but what he is presenting on air has be, is being presented with such clarity, with such drive, with such vision. It is astounding to me that he is able to do this. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I continue to watch again, not knowing who this man was. I'm not even sure I knew I was on Fox News, if you want to know the truth. And I get it. The initial moronic statement is going to be, well, you would get your news from Fox News. Yeah, I would. Why wouldn't I? I'm a part of Fox News. All you got to do with a Fox News is link. See, it's you. I'll kick on top. But this guy is sensational. And I respect good reporting. I always have. Those of you that know me. No, I'm a news freak. I'm a newsie. I delivered the Gary Post Tribune because I wanted to get the paper when I wanted to get the paper. I didn't want to have to wait for some kid to maybe show up at five or some days at three. I wanted the damn newspaper delivered, and I wanted it now. Well, I respect it, and I also don't respect it. Certain people, my guy Doyle, no respect for that adulterous jackass. But Trey Yings, absolutely, you get a dammy award. Morons of the week continue to be morons. Who is that? Well, it is the idiots that reside at Black Lives Matter Chicago. Now look, understand, we are all supposed to be, all of us supposed to be afraid to say anything. We were going to be criticized as racist. That's just a day ending in Y with me now with some freaky-ass racist, anti-racist dude. It's every day. It's every day. Well, everybody knew that there were two factions here. Black Lives Matter, uh, the organization, the worst in the world. ESPN and others bought into it. Uh, Netflix and Disney had to pay for it, if you can believe this. They actually were shaken down. They were shaken down, ladies and gentlemen, by Black Lives Matter, by the government. If you didn't put a black space on your Twitter, you were racist. If you asked where the money went that was being donated to Black Lives Matter, you were a racist. If you called them out for what they were, a terrorist organization designed to destroy our cities, you were a racist. Well, and I don't know if we have the tweet, Black Lives Matter showed themselves to be exactly what they are, a terrorist organization designed under the guise of Black Lives Matter to be the most racist, most dishonest, most ridiculous, most now mocked organization in the country. They actually put out, under the Black Lives Matter Chicago banner, they put out this, I stand with Palestine. People paratrooping in with the Palestinian flag. Well, what those Palestinians did that were paratrooping in was land in the middle of a music festival and slaughter people. And these dumbasses, these jackasses support that. Hey, look, everybody has a right to support whom they want. And there are people that support the Palestinians. There are people that support this. But Black Lives Matter, you took the mask off. Now, Black Lives Matter is doubling down. Zionists, we know we hurt your feelings yesterday. We do sincerely apologize. And y'all are going super low with really basic, boring, not clever racism, Zionism, violence. And you're just organizing people for us. Are you missing the more you act up, the more followers you get? Well, my response, more followers... Fake name calling and spinning the narrative does not change the fact that this is a dumbass hate group that exposed itself as such and will only be mocked. The goal of more followers is perfect for such a fraudulent, unorganized, and hateful organization. Boy, I have never written anything more true. And of course, the first thing is a little white dude calling me a Klansman. Good. Call me whatever you would like. Why would I care? Okay, Klan member. And, of course, the next is, uh, what do you think about Trump's comment on Hamas? Yeah, okay. Well, it ain't about Trump. It ain't about being in the Klan. It's about an organization in the United States that has misappropriated money, that has built mansions for themselves, that has been completely fraudulent, disorganized, but we knew that, and a jackass organization that finally, finally took their mask off. And if you don't think people like ex ibrahim the racial, or AKA Henry Rogers, who's doing that jackassery show, and I hope it continues on ESPN, isn't in the same ilk, doesn't support violence. You're crazy, because that's all these folks have. They don't have common sense, they don't have compassion, they don't have anything other than being a disorganized mess that steals from people and uses it for their leaders' mansions, and everybody's afraid to call them out. Not me. Kiss my ass. Go to hell, Black Lives Matter Chicago. Craziest story, and this will continue to be a crazy story, and it's a sad story. We touched on it earlier. The Dammy Award for Craziest Story is Sergio Brown, the former Colt, former six-year NFL player, former Notre Dame football player, who has been arrested in San Diego on a warrant for murder. He's going to be extradited to Chicago. Chicago is where, well, Maywood, a suburb outside of Chicago, is where the alleged murder transpired. And Sergio Brown, former NFL player, it's sad. We saw him on Instagram blaming the deep state, the FBI, the Maywood police, the Chicago police. They're coming after him, they said. Now, I got to tell you, there isn't a football player out there worth coming after. I mean, Kaepernick, you just, what you really want out of Kaepernick is for him to speak more. Because when he speaks more, he doesn't sound like the intelligent martyr people make him out to be. He sounds like a whiny-ass victim. That's what he sounds like. So let him speak more. Let Black Lives Matter Chicago talk more. Let Sergio Brown speak more. And you're going to see this is really sad. This is almost, well, it is. It's tragic. A mother's love. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing as strong as a mother's love. Again, I used to tell my kids when they were snotty to their mother, be careful here, be very careful. There are very few people that truly love you, very few. And as you get older, it gets even smaller. You don't want to lose her love because that's the person that loves you most, period. Mother is dead. Sergio Brown, former football player, whether it's drugs, CTE, you don't kill your mother and consider yourself a sane human being. There's something going on here, and it is the craziest story of the week. Bad week? Bad week? I'll give you two. One, Lance Lynn. I love Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn has come on my show. He's from about 20 minutes from here, Brownsburg, Indiana. Lance Lynn, Tucker Barnhart, Gordon Hayward and a a pitcher named Drew Storen, all from Brownsburg, Indiana. Great sports town. Fantastic. Well, guess what? Excuse me. Lance Lynn was on the mound yesterday for the Dodgers. As Roger Clemens said, he pitches the contact. Well, that contact resulted in five home runs. Four that were fair, a fifth uh, that went foul. And as Clemens said, I've never seen it. Three straight solo home runs. Home run. Home run, home run. Then a foul home run. That was originally the batter ran the bases thinking it was a home run. Replay review, foul ball. Next time, next pitch, home run. Four straight home runs given up. Back to back to back to back. First time in baseball history. First time in one inning in postseason history. Unbelievable. So Lance Lynn, one, I don't know, half inning. Gave you a bad week, but a worse week, I guess, are the Baltimore Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles had a 100 win season. The Baltimore Orioles were a great story. The Baltimore Orioles were up from the dead. I mean, from the dead, this team. This team, remember, Camden Yard, Camden Park was all the rage. People traveled miles and miles across states and countries to go to Camden, Camden Yard years ago. Well, they did something stupid at Camden Yard. They moved the fences back. They raised them. And then we didn't see all those great catches over the wall at Camden Yards. Well, guess what? People stopped going. The team was awful. Small market team. Bad management. Don't know they weren't any good. Back in my day with Earl Weaver and Jim Palmer and Quayar. And, uh, uh, And Dobson and all the – hey, they were great. They were fantastic. Not anymore. Not for years. Well, they won 100-plus games. They got into the playoffs. They faced the Texas Rangers. They got their ass beat. I mean, they got swept. First in the AL East, which is remarkable because you got the big spenders, the, uh, the Boston Red Sox. And, of course, the Yankees. And you've got Tampa Bay, who runs as good an organization, fans aside, as there is in baseball. Man, you got swept. That, ladies and gentlemen, mm, 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 mm. that's a bad week. All right, we talked about Robert Kraft earlier. And I will tell you, Robert Kraft is 1,000% going to fire Bill Belichick, if this keeps going. Now, you're going to say it's not going to be a firing. They're going to say he left on his own. That's fine. You can say whatever you want. But this doesn't even have to be 72-3 to over the last two games, which it was. This can just continue to be losses, losses, more losses, and Belichick's going to be gone. Robert Kraft, though, is bigger than his sport. He's bigger than football. Robert Kraft is a... A Jewish man. Robert Kraft had this to say about Hamas. It's horrible to me a group like Hamas can be respected. And people in the United States of America can be carrying flags or supporting them when they are preaching hate and destruction. We have to fight hate in this country. And part of it is the education. Do people know that Hamas is preaching the eradication of all Jewish people on this earth. Yeah, but what? No. Uh uh-uh. uh. No. Mm-mm. There is no yeah, but. There is not. Well, they, no. There is none. If you are supporting Hamas, you're evil. You're supporting evil. It's what you're doing because that's exactly what Hamas has. Bruce Pearl gave a magnificent, magnificent history lesson yesterday. He did. Tremendous. If you disagree, you disagree. But to openly support hate and respect hate just shows you're an idiot. And Black Lives Matter, you're idiots. Uh, a little lighter subject. People, particularly here at OutKick, were are wondering. You know, Shador Sanders, son of Dion Sanders, quarterback of Colorado, has had a great year. I mean, he has been clutch, and when clutch has been needed, he has been a star, maybe the star, of college football. Really. If you're going to say who's the breakout star, everybody knew Michael Penix, Bo Nix going into the year. Everybody knew Caleb Williams. But not too many people knew or really respected, coming from Jackson State, Shadur Sanders. But let's get to the most important stuff. How does Shadur Sanders not have a watch deal, according to his dad. Shadur Sanders always shows the watch that he has, the watch that he bought, the Rolex, I'm guessing, that he flashes. His dad wants to know, how does he not have a watch deal? The kid should go buy his own watch. Apparently, new study out, he's getting $4.2 million in NIL value. We're on a bigger stage, first of all. Uh, all much love to DJ Khalid. He's the one that stamped it. I'd love to see it because it's hilarious to me. He and E and I joke about it on a daily basis. We've just got to get him a lucrative watch deal. He can't keep doing it for free. We got to capitalize on it. He's my son. We got to capitalize on the moment, right? Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. We need Shadur Sanders to get a watch deal. I guess. Yeah, it's unfair. Oh, stop it. Just stop it. Uh, The NFL is considering a fine to George Kittle. What's George Kittle's crime? Well, George Kittle wore a T-shirt Sunday night that said, F Dallas. Personal messages carry a $10,927 fine. I got to tell you, The fact that he did it like that probably means he's going to get fined. The fact that he put the vulgarity and spelled it out probably means he's going to get fined. Should he get fined? My answer, hell no. Look, at some point, you got to let people be people. I get it. You're representing the shield and all that represents. What it represents is crap, but that's all right. It's the shield. I don't know. I like it when guys speak out, or I like it when things are different. But I also like real grass and grass stains. I also like NFL playing on baseball fields where you can get muddy. I also like a guy coming up after a big hit and he's got grass in his face mask. So, what do I know? You all want analytics and cap space. That's what you guys want. Me? I don't know. I want guys to get jacked up. I want guys to get hit hard, pounded into the turf. I want want guys to express themselves. I want Jim McMahon to wear a headband at the Super Bowl that says Roselle. That's what I want. But what do I know? I think middle-aged 60-year-olds are all in style. I do. I think we should be listened to. But again, what do I know? Hey, uh, speaking, going back to Roger, or Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, they're not making any changes. They're going with Mac Jones. Well, I guess you got to, don't you? Here's the deal. I said this earlier. Mark my words. Robert Kraft will fire Bill Belichick at some point if he has to, and he will have to. You can't go at it with anybody but Mac Jones. You drafted Mac Jones. You know, you know he's the best quarterback there. You've seen all the practices. You're supposedly a savant in football. You got nothing but going at Mac Jones. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't be a day if we didn't have Richard Sherman or some wide receiver going at it. Richard Sherman, who is arguably the worst analyst on TV, you'll see him tonight. He's horrible. And at least on Fox, I haven't watched him with Steve with uh, uh, Bayless, but he says C.D. Lamb isn't a wide receiver one. He's overrated and clearly not a wide receiver one. Well, there you go. We have to throw it in because it wouldn't be the NFL with dumbass ex NFL player taking personal shots at wide receivers or at current NFL players. We saw <laughs> we saw it with Rodney Harrison. We saw it with some dude named Dante Whitmer, and now we're seeing it with Richard Sherman. Remember, the indie star will tell us when Richard Sherman acts like an idiot, no, he's really smart, every white media guy had to remind us. He went to Stanford after Richard Sherman acted like a complete dumbass uh, with what's-her-face Aaron Andrews. Yeah, no, he's really smart. Okay, all right if you say so. Hey, Tiger Woods and Justin Timberlake want to open a sports bar in St. Andrews. Tiger Woods and Justin Timberlake. Timberlake has a pretty good spot that I go to uh, on Broadway, kind of away from all the honky-tonks in Nashville. I kind of like his spot. Woods and Timberlake submitted plans to the Fife Council to take over a 1930 cinema in town called the New Picture House. That would, see, uh, that would see just three screens of cinema being retained. The St. Andrews Community Council, uh, his member Neil Thompson made it clear to the Courier that he's solely against the proposal. What's next? Trump buying the West Sands for a hotel. I find this very disrespectful and a bit cheeky. It's cheeky. I agree. Look, I just had a bunch of friends went to St. Andrews. All right? I did. And they said it's awesome. They stayed at the hotel. They spent a lot of money. I'm going to set up I am my friends to go to St. Andrews on a golf trip, probably in two summers, not this coming summer, but the next one. And I can't wait. i got to do it before I'm dead because you walk a lot. I, they all told me the charm of St. Andrews is still there. I don't need Justin Timberlake and Tiger Woods opening a spot there. I don't need it. I don't need Timberlake in there. Timberlake's got a nice spot in Nashville. Uh, Tiger Woods got more money than God. And people are mad. They are. The town's been very good to Tiger Woods. And this is not the way to repay residents. St. Andrews is unique and build, and the Bat building is iconic. An American bar is completely out of keeping. That means it's completely out of what's needed. It's astonishing a university town loses its cinema to a multi-millionaire celebrity vanity project. St. Andrews is at a cinema here since the 30s. My mom and dad courted there. It's one of the few independent cinemas left in Scotland. I'm with you. Hey, what do we need? Another strip mall? What, has everything got to be a strip mall? What are you going to do, put Tiger Woods pictures on there? Oh, Justin Timberlake pictures? Hell no. I need a pint in a bar. I need Freddie Couples' naked wife dancing naked on the top of a pub. Not some American bar and grill. We got enough American bar and grill. Stop it. Go to TGI Fridays if you want an American bar and grill. Go to Champs. Go to Hooters. What are you, crazy? The last thing in this world we need is another Tiger Woods Justin Timberlake project. Jeez. And by the way, I'm glad Tim. well, those days are over when you could, you know, when you'd get called racist and mean it. For saying a Tiger Woods project isn't needed. It's funny, even in my two years on this show, I would have had to throw in a white dude in there so as not to just criticize the African American. But those days are gone. People are being treated by their actions, not their color, and I'm for it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, woke a me. If you vote Democrat, I'll flood your if you won't vote Democrat, I'll flood your country with somebody that will. Boy, have you ever. This is scary now. You know, this is a lot of joking. It's true, though. They're going to let everybody that comes across vote as long as they vote Democrat. They're giving them more money than people that have worked their whole lifetime make off Social Security. But the bigger issue is how many terror cells have been allowed in under this idiot? How many? I guarantee you there's a bunch. A ton of dudes coming in here. Military-aged people coming in here. Now, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, and I'm telling you more. It is, ladies and gentlemen, it is the biggest attack on our country, I believe, since 9-11, what's going in in our open borders. Not going to happen today, probably not going to happen tomorrow, but it's coming. You don't let people in undocumented. You don't let military-aged young men in out of prisons at different countries and think something heinous isn't going to happen in our country. Let me ask you a question. How are these people going to live? How are these people going to interact? How are these people going to survive? I'll tell you how. Crime. Sponsored by Iran. Sponsored by the enemies of the United States. And if you don't think so, and if you think that's some type of sexist, racist, misogynist, whatever is rant, then you're just simply not paying attention. You're not. I don't want to tell you. You're simply not. Next. uh Oh, ship, a captain's going down, a a ship's captain's going down with his sinking ship. Captain Biden goes down with a lifeboat. Not my fault. Nothing is this guy's fault. That's the thing that maybe irritates me other than policy. Policy irritates me to no end that we leave open borders. We have no idea what we're doing. We're completely inept. But what bothers me on the side of that is it ain't my fault. I didn't do it. The previous administration, how many years do you have to be president before you take the blame for what's going on in our country? How many years? Does it have to be 10? You can only be president for eight. This clown ran on the buck stops here. I will not divide. I will bind. Really? Everything the guy talks about is the other party. I will be responsible. Really? Biden and his dipshit cronies have taken responsibility for absolutely nothing. The only thing they take responsibility for is when gas prices, for whatever reason, go down 10 cents to like seven bucks a gallon and they go, see, see, look at what we did. It's ridiculous. They have divided this country like no other when they asked for your vote. To unite the country, they have blamed others like no other. When they told us during the election, "We will be responsible. We will fix," they haven't done squat. They haven't done nothing. They've made the world more dangerous. Our country more dangerous. They've enabled. Uh, they've enabled, ladies and gentlemen. Excuse me. They have emboldened criminals. They have corrupted every form of government in every area, including the prosecutor's office here in Indianapolis, and they have been ridiculous. Next! Is there a next? How celebrities look when they advocate for climate change from their private airplane. It is amazing. No, it is amazing. These two idiots are simply doing what everybody else in Hollywood does, and that's be fake. I don't even want to talk about how dumb these two are. Uh, And I got to tell you, Mina Kuna, she ain't that hot without the makeup. I mean, she's not. And the other guy ruined two and a half men. Yeah, he did. So both of these people can rot in hell. But the bigger issue is this, the hypocrites. It's amazing how liberals can just be hypocrites and keep going on with their existence. Bill Gates said, yeah, I fly private, but the money I raised offsets. Okay, okay, all right, there you go. (laughs) It's the way of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, this might have been our best show ever. I almost say that every day because our shows are fantastic. We're going to get it right. We're going to get where this thing is the most national show in the world, but I thank you for your constant support. I thank all of you that are all day on the YouTube chat. I thank all of you, all of you that participate, even guys like LPG Rules, that just simply support blindly the most corrupt president in our lifetime. It is glorious. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Thank you to everybody on this show. Beth, awesome job booking two wonderful guests. Haley and Katie, uh, Ryan and Dylan, thank all of you. We will see you tomorrow.